Jeremy Pena has set the stage here for Jordan Alvarez, one of the most feared hitters in the game. Representing the winning run for the Astros. And Alvarez belts it! Deep to right field! Gives it goodbye! Unbelievable! The Astros a walk-off win! Jordan Alvarez, a walk-off three-run homer! And the Astros stun the Mariners in game one of the division series! Incredible! Entertainment capital of the world. Center cut curveball, but it was nasty. It's the TC Martin Show. Verlander deals a 3-2. And a called strike three. TC Martin. And now the Astros with a runner at first for Alex Bregman. And Bregman sends one deep in the left center field. This is way back. And it is gone. Alex Bregman gets the Astros off the deck. It's time to get your daily prescription from the strikeout number nine the doctor is now in all right it's a football friday it's the tc martin show tc martin is on location he is enjoying world series game six must be nice to be tc just got a just got a message from he is on the plane now he is on the plane now yeah i'm sure well, that's probably why we haven't got any food pictures yet he's on the plane that'll be coming later i'm marco d'angelo sitting in for the dr tc martin today it is a football friday i will be joined in studio today for with my good friend ralph michaels you can follow ralph on twitter at cal sports lv we've got a power pack show today it is football friday we'll have football best bets later in the show trevor maddich will be joining us with his red hot uh best bets this season we've made fun of uh, trevor uh, the last uh, last season but he is leading the pack this year so i can't uh, i can't give him any grief we'll also have john murray from the westgate superbook and then today's show is sponsored by the westgate and normally we are live every friday two to four at the westgate superbook but today we are in studio because as we said tc is on location ralph last night uh, we got. We'll start with uh, Thursday night football. Uh, yeah, it was World Series. We'll get to that in a moment. But Thursday night football, undefeated. Philadelphia Eagles remain undefeated. Uh, Jalen Hurts does uh, enough to get the job done for Philadelphia. They get the win, but not the cover. But uh, you know, the only undefeated team uh, left. Uh, do you think the Miami Dolphins? Uh, you know, were sweating it yet on that undefeated season? That what was it? The seventy-two Dolphins. Yeah, I uh, read earlier today there have been 29 teams to get to this stage undefeated in the season. That's not very many in the history of the NFL. And of those, nine have won the Super Bowl. All of them have made the playoffs. Fifteen have gotten to the Super Bowl. So uh, it does set you up very well to get that number one seed moving forward towards the end of the season. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, they didn't get to cover, but we talk about Thursday night football and, you know, Oftentimes we say the road team is at a big disadvantage because of the short week, you know, going on the road, you got three days to prepare. It's an even more of a disadvantage when you're playing a team that's not a division opponent because you don't have, uh, you're not familiar with them from playing them twice a season. So it gives the home team a little bit of an edge. I did lean to Houston last night, although that was uh, not the play that I made uh, personally for my clients 
I was on the under, Ralph, and I don't know if uh, you caught to see what uh, happened there with the final score. Now, I will say this much. That score did happen uh, early in the fourth quarter, and then there was no other scoring afterwards. But there was one play that dictated the outcome of it being an over or an under. When Philadelphia scored their last touchdown last night, they lined up to kick the extra point like you're supposed to, and Houston jumped off sides. With the five-yard penalty, they decided to go for two. And lo and behold, they made the two-point conversion, which made the game land on 46. The game closed at 45 and a half. So uh, big, uh, <laughs> that two-point conversion was a difference. And when we get John Murray on later, we'll have to ask him uh, how much that shifted the books, uh, net win or net loss last night with uh, that two-point conversion. Yeah, you know, you, you look at the scoring, uh, you, after after being 14-14 at the half, only 18 total points scored. Does it hurt less, Marco, because it happened early in the fourth, be, be it versus the last minute of the game when it was a meaningless touchdown? Uh, absolutely, it hurts less that way. But it's still, the fact that they, I, they didn't score anymore, it's still the same thing. I was sitting there, uh, as I do so often on Thursday nights, uh, I was at a casino playing poker and had the game on TV and uh, watching it. So uh, I'm saying, somebody just kick a field goal or something so I don't feel bad because I don't want it to end this way. But it did. Uh, but again, getting back to uh, Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts, you've got to love this guy. Um, I liked him in college. I thought he got, you know, a little bit of a raw deal at Alabama when he lost his job, you know, to Tua. And he ended up transferring the, you know, his final year to Oklahoma. Played well at Oklahoma. I mean, every place he's been, he he's played well. Come into the NFL, a lot of uh, critics, uh, Ralph, you know, saying, no, he's not going to be a, a good NFL quarterback. You know, he's a running quarterback, this and that. But you know what? He's getting the job done. Um, he doesn't make mistakes. Um, he's not throwing the ill-advised, you know, turnover interception. And uh, the team believes in him. And uh, I'm happy for him. We'll see what uh, – I got to root for some team from Pennsylvania because my team on the other side of the state's not going anywhere. Yeah, you know, I was one of those that didn't think he would be a starting quarterback in the NFL, and I'm totally wrong. And I actually just stopped trying to look at Colin Talent and pretend like I know mm. what's going to dictate to the NFL. But you, you look at Hertz numbers, 68.2%, a 12-2 ratio, a quarterback rating of 107, which mm. trails only Patrick Mahomes. Uh, so he is doing everything right. Of course, it helps. When you have a defense like they do that puts the offense in good positions. And this is even with, it's surprising, Philadelphia's offensive line, they've allowed 22 sacks. One of every nine times he goes back, they were sacked four times against Houston, three times against Dallas, and four times against Arizona. So he's putting up numbers even with that pressure. Absolutely. And uh, last night, his final numbers, 21 of 27 for 243 yards. He did have two TDs, no interceptions, as I said. And Ralph, uh, don't sell yourself short on uh, uh, judging uh, college talent. Uh, for listeners that aren't familiar with you, uh, back in the day, uh, you did work for another uh, well-known publication uh, that puts out a product every year in uh, Phil Steele's uh, Power Sweep and his preview guide. And you had a uh, Heisman Trophy vote back in the day. 
I did. And uh, in fact, it was a big deal. I had my son come over with, with his friends and we'd have a party and do the voting. And mm-hmm. I only missed one. Uh, I only missed one, at which, you know, I always voted with with my head and never with my heart. So I was very pleased for seven years. I also had, I was a voting member of all the other committees as part of the Football Writers of America. So it was an exciting time and really it, it, it helped me learn how to handicap because there were many, many coaches that would call up and talk to me trying to promote their players. I remember Wanstead would call for Aaron Donald all the time. When Aaron Donald was a freshman, he would be calling us up saying, and watch the film on this kid. He knew how good he was going to be, but that's the kind of rapport you used to have because coaches would call you to promote their players. They knew how, you know, how a valuable say you had. We were part of all the midseason lists as well. So it was a really neat period of my time getting to talk to coaches and talking to them without coach speak. Hearing them talk about players, hearing them talk about plays, hearing them dissecting defenses, and that translated to handicapping quite a bit. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, looking forward, uh, you talk about uh, Aaron Donald. Obviously, coaches, they got to really work a little bit because there is such a bias to the offensive players. I mean, there, he was a great defensive player, Aaron Donald, and uh, you got to get him a little more attention on the defensive side. And was there a bias? They always say that the West Coast guys uh, are at a disadvantage because so many of the writers don't see them all of the time. You know, you're, you got to be east of the Mississippi to be the legitimate uh, Heisman candidate. I think that's, that's uh, dissipated quite a bit. But, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, we didn't have Pac-12 af- uh, you know, after dark and, you know, all these shows, and there weren't as many ESPN games that were broadcasted. And now we also see, with the new TV contracts, the Pac-12 playing many earlier games and trying to get in those time slots. So I think that has faded. I'm sure there's still a percentage of it, but nowhere near what it used to be in the past decade. Well, this, this would be a great segue about Pac-12. Um, they play on Friday nights uh, now. They have a you know a game every week uh, on Friday night, which gets them more attention uh, to uh, the public looking at them. And we've had some good games. Tonight's game, you've got Oregon State at uh, Washington. Now, Washington is a team that started out well um, defensively. They got some shortcomings. Uh, Oregon State, we know what they want to do. Oregon State is one of those teams, and I put them in the category, not obviously not as good as Utah, but is a more physical team in the Pac-12. I always look at the Pac-12, uh, Ralph, and I look at it as more of a finesse league, you, you know, Offense first, defense second, and uh, you got Oregon State tonight. They're getting uh, four and a half, I believe, is the number there. Uh, I looked at that one. I was tempted to take Oregon State plus the points, but I think you're going to see Oregon State try to shorten this game and keep Washington's offense off the field and run the football when they have a power running game. That power running game does set up their offense, uh, the passing game. But I think this one, you're looking at a total in this one of 54. I like it under the total is where I was leaning in this. Did you uh, have any opinions on that Pac-12 game? I absolutely agree with OSU is going to try to run the ball, but you look at Washington's rush D allowing only 3.3 yards per carry. And while I actually leaned Washington, folks, this is the time you clearly have to start paying attention to weather now that the calendar has turned to November. We're talking winds up to 25 miles an hour today in Seattle. Advantage 
Oregon State, and a clear lean to the under. All right, good stuff. We had something else uh, last night, uh, pretty exciting uh, game five. And we know that, you know, in these seven-game series, when you're tied 2-2, big advantage to the team that uh, grabs that game five. And, Ralph, if you look at this series, I mean, we've had a different story almost every night. You, you had Houston open up at home game one and get beat jump out to a big lead in game one and then end up losing the game, then come back in game two, a dominant performance, uh, win that one, then go to Philadelphia. We've got, you know, a no-hitter thrown in one of the games. Philly wins game three. Houston throws the no-hitter in game four, the combined no-hitter. So, you know, what was the script going to be last night? Well, we got another pitcher's duel. You had Justin Verlander on the mound, and uh, he got the job you know, done for five. Uh, he gave up one run over five innings. Little bit of control problems, though. You don't generally see Justin Verlander in five innings. He had four walks. I think he had six strikeouts in the game. Uh, he pitched deeper into the game than his mound opponent, uh, Aaron Nola. So they got the job done last night, but it came down to the bottom of the ninth. Philadelphia had a legitimate threat in the bottom of the ninth where they could have tied and won the game. They got out of that jam and now take that momentum back to Houston for uh, game six. And uh, if TC, uh, if they if it's ended in game six, TC will be back in studio on Monday. He told me if there's a game seven, they're stuck with me. And I says, I got some uh, scheduling to <laughs> to move around, so you better root for game six. But uh, how do uh, how do you see the baseball uh, last night? Any comments on the game, and what are you looking at uh, moving forward? Well, it's fun to watch some defense win a game, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> what what an exciting way to finish! Uh, you know, it's it's a situation now. I, I think Houston's in the driver's seat. Obviously, uh, I was expecting. I was expecting Philly to jump off to a good start. Verlander's probably the happiest guy in the world to get a World Series win and get some of those demons off his back. You know, we look at the next game. Houston goes with Valdez. Valdez opened a 140 favorite, 145, a total of seven against Wheeler. Uh, Early money says 64% on Houston, and I would agree with that. I, I think the way they've won two straight uh, Philly, Philly, it's going to have a tough time mentally to to prepare for that. Going back to Houston, no question about that. And you talk about Valdez; his last two starts have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Thirteen in a third innings, he's given up just one earned run. He had three runs in those two games, but two of them were unearned. But what impressed me: his strikeout to walk ratio uh, in those two starts, eighteen to three. Now. I'm big. I'm old school. I know there's a lot of sabermetrics guys and advanced metrics and things that they look at. I still look at uh, old school stuff because it still tells a tale. When a guy is striking out batters at that high of a rate and he has low uh, walk count, that tells me he's got full command of all of his pitches. Everything's working for him. He's fooling the hitters. He's got control. He's not walking anybody. And when you're on a stage this big and you're dealing it like that, he's going to be tough. Now, Philadelphia, they got the best guy on the mound for them to try to force a game seven. Uh, Zach Wheeler uh, 
suffered an injury this year. He missed some time. Came back in uh, mid to late August, which was perfect to get him enough starts, uh, you know, get him in a good groove, get him, you know, uh, tight, you know, when you first come back, you're on pitch counts and things like that. And he has pitched well for Philadelphia. He did get roughed up in his last start. That was the worst start he's had in probably six weeks. Uh, he gave up five runs and in five innings, uh, four earned in that one. And the difference in that one, and that's the alarming stat, is after he had been getting eight, seven strikeouts per start, he only had three strikeouts in the five innings, and he had three walks. So we're going to have to see if he's able to bounce back for game six. But I agree with you. I will be rooting for Houston. I do have a series play on Houston, uh, so I probably won't play game six individually, but uh, I'll ride that series bet. Anything you might look at? Uh, I looked up in the database now. Uh, in the playoffs, MLB playoffs, teams that are up 3-2, that won the last game on the road and now going back home. It's only happened six times, and the team has gone home and won five of those six games. Five of those six. Is that over the series period, or is that exclusive to game six? That is exclusive to game six. It's the team has a 3-2 lead is going home and won the last game on the road. All right. Well, that's good stuff, uh, Ralph. Big uh, college football uh, weekend, as always, as we start to get to – I love when the calendar turns to November because at this time you start – to me, I look at the football season, Ralph, as three different individual seasons as you go. You have September where – you're looking and trying to figure out the strengths and weaknesses of all the teams. The problem with September is because so many of the powerhouse schools always schedule cupcakes or little sisters of the poor, whatever metaphor you want to use for them. The statistics that you're looking at are really skewed. So you you got to be careful on how you draw conclusions to teams in September. The month of October, I feel, is the purest month of the college football season because now you're into conference play. Everybody is still alive for all of their season goals. You're not, you know, you're still trying to become bowl eligible, get your six wins. At that point in time, you haven't lost enough games that you're eliminated from bowl games. And uh, your team's jockeying to get into that final four for the, uh, the playoff position at the end of this season. I like October. But then as you move to November, as I said, you shift gears. And why I say that is because now you are going to have teams that I don't want to say, you know, throwing in the towel, but, you know, if you're eliminated from bowl games in the first or second week of November, now you got to worry about is that team going to show up the rest of the season? You know when they will show up. That'll be the end of the season, their, their rivalry games. But how do you look at that? Marco, you know, on bet on it, some trends and angle systems that I do. Uh, I talked about this on a show. When a team is off a loss and they lost their seventh game, they're about a 41% ATS play the following week, with the exception of game 12. If you make it to game 12, you're normally playing your rival, mm-hmm. and, and the numbers are different. It's almost 50%. But playing a team like Akron and Charlotte last week that mm-hmm. both lost, that 
hit their seventh losses. Their bowl hopes are now dashed. Oftentimes you see the coaching change then because they're making the move towards next year. It's a very important part to look at. So again, that, that plays right into you know my three separate seasons of looking at it. And then of course, uh, on the flip side, the teams that do have something to play for and are playing you know to become bowl eligible or keeping themselves alive in the playoff situation, a lot of times you're going to be laying an inflated number with those teams. And as we get deeper into the season and we've got, you know, how many undefeated teams and there's only going to be four teams in the playoffs, some of those teams will start to maybe play a little tighter uh, where they're going to play not to lose instead of playing to win. And sometimes you can get a team uh, taking the dog and getting value there. But on the same point, you got to worry about teams running up scores because if there's too many people still undefeated and trying to crack the party for the uh, championship uh, playoff format, style points come in uh, a little bit. And I know that that shouldn't be a big issue uh, with the, the polls, but it does. I'm sorry. If somebody just squeaks by, they're going to drop a little bit. Well, you know, you look at you look at TCU, and TCU was in that position a few years ago where Ohio State crushed Wisconsin yeah. in the Big Ten and jumped them. So, but now TCU is on the opposite end. They may need style points. Uh, I was I was in a discussion with someone about Clemson this week. Does Clemson have to win big? If you're Michigan or Clemson, you don't need to worry about it because Ohio State's playing Michigan, Tennessee's playing Georgia. They're going to knock each other out. So if you're in the four, five, six range, you don't need to worry because of the cross plays. If you're seven and out, like that Oregon team that may want to try to get there or the TCU teams, yes, those are the teams that I think may have to try to score that extra touchdown if they can. But on the flip side, that also means there's added pressure on those teams. And a lot of times we see kids start saying, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, and all of a sudden the play is not what they're accustomed to on the field. The pressure that you talk about has to be more for a team you mentioned them already, TCU, a team that's not been in that situation and now they're this late into the season being in that kind of spot. Um, they've got a game, you know, this week, TCU. Um, last week was a tough uh, a tough game, sore spot for me with uh, West Virginia. I don't know if you saw the end of that game, uh, but uh, I had happened to be doing a radio show uh, live in the final two minutes of that game. And I learned a long time ago to shut the TV off when you're doing a radio spot via phone because and it was a very good thing because if I would have been watching what happened live, I probably would have been banned from radio because I would have dropped a couple FCC uh, F-bombs on air. West Virginia was losing by three. They were plus seven and a half. I had West Virginia. There was 29 seconds left in the game or 26 seconds and they were at the 29 yard line. One of the two, it was fourth and one TCU had the ball and all they had to do was run out the clock fourth and one. They're not going to kick a field goal being up three because it really doesn't do you any good. Um, you risk getting a field goal block. So I understand them going forward on fourth and one. Well, West Virginia had everybody up at the line and TCU didn't hand off. They threw a pass, and the guy went the 26 yards for the touchdown um, with you know less than 30 seconds on the clock, and I lost by 10. And it was a good thing I wasn't watching while I was doing the show. <laughs> well, you know what? The TC faithful are going to say one thing. Thank you 
for coming to TCU Sunny Dykes. <laughs> yeah, dude. Because you know what? It, there's too many times he's seen people not win that way, and and he did it at SMU, and you know having teams come from behind. So uh, I respect the heck out of that. It, it, Put it, keeping your foot on the gas and not taking it down to the last minute. What about TCU this week? Let's jump to them. Uh, we're going to preview a few games. We'll jump around the schedule. TCU has a game uh, against Texas Tech. Uh, they're laying you know, a big number. You're looking at uh, nine and a half, ten points in that game. Do you think that this is too much for TCU? I look at the game and I'll say this much. Texas Tech that defense can't stop too many teams. They can score a lot of points, but they don't stop anybody. Nobody has stopped this TCU offense this year. Well, you look at a third-year a third year starter like Max Dugan with a 22-2 ratio, um, but I do like the Texas Tech side. Uh, you, look at, you look at TCU, and their defense has not been good. In fact, they're number 81 in the yards they allow their opponents compared to the season averages. And they allowed 430 to West Virginia, and they allowed 400, 550 yards to Kansas. And when I look at Texas Tech, they've had a very unfortunate season with the way they've lost games turning the ball over. This is, to me, is a uh, buy low and try to sell high. Minus four turnovers last week, minus three turnovers in the, in the loss to uh, Oak State and minus three turnovers in the loss to NC State. Now you have a new quarterback with Morton and and Smith combined in 18-14 ratio. So when you're handicapping, you can say they're turning the ball over because they have bad quarterback play. But if the quarterback play plays anywhere decently to normal, this offense is a top 15 offense as far as what they gain relative to what their opponents allow. I think I think they're actually a live dog, and I like them plus the spread. I got to look at the over in this one if I'm playing it because, as I said, you know, Texas Tech and they've played a tough schedule. If you look at you know, Texas Tech's schedule, it's not been easy, and they had a period where they played I think like three or four top 25 teams in a row. Uh, but I look at this TCU offense, and the lowest point total they've had this year was 38 points. Nobody has been able to stop this team, and I don't see Texas Tech doing it. This is one of those ones where the winning team's going to be in the 40s for sure, and we're looking at a, a total of 60, 69 and a half. Uh, I, I lean to the over in that one. Looking at it, uh, we'll take a look at a couple more games here real quick before we go to the break. Interesting game, North Carolina at Virginia. And uh, we've seen some line movement in this game uh, towards the dog. The narrative with North Carolina is this is a team that scores a lot of points, but their defense doesn't stop anybody. The problem is, in this one, is they're playing a Virginia team that doesn't have a potent offense. And you worry about the situation is if they fall behind by a couple touchdowns, can Virginia, how do they trade points? You know, I know they're going to be going against a soft defense, but I'd like to see a little more offensive firepower from the team I would want to back there. I agree. And, you know, it could be the most baffling quarterback in the entire country with Brennan Armstrong. From what he did last year to his, his uh, season this year, let me refresh you, last year, Armstrong had 20 TD passes and and I believe under four 
Uh, excuse me, 31-10 was his ratio. Mm. This year he has a 6-9 ratio. It, it, is, okay. it is completely baffling. I don't like North Carolina in this favorites role, period. But I don't like Virginia enough to get to the Virginia side. If you made me... If you made me take a side, I think North Carolina uh, off a, uh, off their run that they are with four straight wins going 3-1 and one against the spread. But again, it was Virginia Tech. They played well against Pittsburgh, but against Duke and Miami, that defense allowed 538 and 542 points. I am not going to lay that type of line with that type of defense. They shut out. Pitt was in that game last week the entire way until the fourth quarter, uh, and they got shut out in the fourth quarter. Uh, 17 nothing in that one, and that got uh, the money for North Carolina. Speaking of North Carolina, let's go to NC State. They are at home. Wake Forest is in there, and, man, if you saw the Wake Forest game last week, eight turnovers by Wake Forest. They played Louisville last week, uh, got hammered, but obviously you turn the football over eight times, you're going to lose the game. Uh, do you have anything in this one, Ralph? I do. I like Wake Forest. Uh, part of the reason, as you mentioned, when Wake Forest is off a loss under Clawson, they are now 20-9 and nine against the spread. That is 69% when playing a conference foe. And remember, NC State has now sat Leary down for the year. Jack Chambers played well last week on 20 of 29, but now he's making his first start where a team has film on him for an entire game. That makes a big difference to me. And as you mentioned... Those seven turnovers, I went to the database. Hmm. Since 2007, only 17 teams have been minus seven turnovers or more. So it is a once-a-year type occurrence. That's how bad it was. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll jam one more in here before the break. Florida State at Miami. Miami, two weeks ago, had eight turnovers in a game, and they lost. Uh, they're at home to Florida State. Uh I know uh, you gave me an interesting stat on Florida State when we were talking earlier in the week. Uh, tell us about Florida State. You look at them statistically, they are a top seven team. They've played the number 39 schedule this year, and they're plus 163.6 yards per game. Only six teams better in the entire college football. Miami has played a very, very weak schedule, number 73, and they're only plus 34 yards per game. The question is Tyler Van Dyke. He continues to make progress. Cristobal in the newspaper this morning said he, he feels like he's likely to go and he has practiced. I like the Canes in the situation against their rival, but can you bet on a team that has failed to cover seven straight games and has not covered against an FBS foe this year? Yeah, I, I'm tempted to want to take Miami of Florida as the home dog because this is one of you know this is a rival game you know Miami of Florida and Florida State. Uh, they used to you know. Once upon a time, they were the two uh, big dogs of the conference. That's not the case anymore. Clemson's the big dog. But uh, looking at it, you know, it's tempted to do it. But, man, I just I can't trust that offense of uh, Miami uh, to get the job done. Wasn't but, that rivalry great where they always played at the beginning of the year? They were probably the first division foes that moved those big games up to September. And it was always citing that opening weekend or second weekend of the year with two ranked teams in an in-state rivalry. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, we love Thanksgiving weekend, too, because that's where you, you've got all the traditional rivalries. And when we get to that week, I retire my stats the week before. Once we get to the uh, that all is left is the re rivalry week, 
just throw the stats away because it just doesn't play out on you know like it should on paper. You know, I still do my power ratings for that week, Marco, and write down numbers. I adjust them by three to five points towards the underdog in that rivalry, no matter how bad of a season they had, because that one win can change your offseason. Oh, absolutely. And especially if the your rival is playing for something bigger. You know, maybe they need to win to be bowl eligible. Maybe they need to win to stay in the, the playoff race, whatever. That's your Super Bowl. And yeah, you're gonna you're not gonna leave anything in the locker room. It's all gonna be out on the field. Hey guys, that uh, first uh, half hour of the show went quick. We're gonna jump out and take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna break down some more college football for you. We'll take a look at some NFL games as well. And then top of the hour we'll have john murray on the show is he will be joining us uh, live from the westgate superbook i am marco d'angelo sitting in for tc martin this is the tc martin show now more of your favorite personal sports physician don't make me big tc martin of course you are a character doesn't mean that you have character the doctor is now in T.C. Martin Show. I'm Marco D'Angelo sitting in for the Dr. T.C. Martin. Don't forget, 2 to 4 every weekday, Monday through Friday, you can catch the show. If you miss any of the show, head on over to the tcmartinshow.com site. You can pick up all of the shows, some great interviews, and there's one you want to check out this week. He had a real interesting one with Mattress Mac. Been a Eventful week for Mattress Mac. Uh, going to Philadelphia, he's a brave guy. I would not go to Philadelphia and wear uh, the other team's jersey. And uh, remember, Philadelphia is the city known for throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. So, yeah, don't wear the other one, uh, the other team's jersey. Ralph, as we uh, head into a football Friday, a lot of action, a lot of great games. And there's a game I want to talk to you about in the Big 12. And this one really had me puzzled at the beginning when I looked at it and saw the line. And I had to shake my head. And that is Texas is at Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State's had a great season so far, 6-2 and two on the year, um, one loss in the conference. This is a team that I've made a lot of money on this year. I've had them in several spots, uh, betting them uh, you know, for a straight bet. But I also have a season win ticket on them. They were my biggest play on a season win. So I've got a vested interest in Kansas State, but I don't like them this week. They're playing Texas, and I know that when people look at this game, what's going to jump out to them, and I'm uh, interesting to hear your thoughts, is last week Kansas State played Oklahoma State, and they just absolutely annihilated them, 48 nothing. Texas had a bye week last week, but the week before that, they also played Oklahoma State, and they lost by seven. Now, Texas led most of that game, and Oklahoma State rallied and got the win. People look at common opponent, and because both teams played the same team in their last game, and it was such lopsided results, how did Texas come out as a favorite in this game? Well, you're looking at a team, again, a stat profile with Texas, a well-respected team that is, is three losses, those three losses to Alabama, a game they almost won, at Texas Tech, where they lost by three, and then at Oklahoma State. Uh, you also, I think rest is very overrated. On a segment of Bet On It this week, we talked about 
teams off buys that lost on the road before the buy. They have only covered 41% of the time since 2015. So it hasn't been a positive. I, I think the assumption is for Joe Public, oh, they're, they're rested, they're off a buy, they have to be better. But again, remember, this is also a team that didn't have Ewers for a few games and, and Hudson Card had a play and didn't play well. I, I was surprised the line as well, but I say I'm surprised at the line, but I still didn't get to the Kansas State side. So um, it's one of those games where it's all right not to bet every game. If it looks fishy to you and, and what you're reading is it hasn't made you change your mind on your original thoughts, I just lay off the game. Well, I do have thoughts on this one. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to save them for the best bet section because this game is one of my best bets, so we'll kind of tease you there. Uh, I guess we've got to talk about it. It's it's the big game of the weekend. Uh, how could you not talk football Friday and not preview Tennessee at Georgia? Uh, Tennessee, everybody's in love with this team. And you watch the game against uh, Alabama a few weeks ago. The two teams, it was like a heavyweight fight. They just kept trading blows up and down the field. And it came down to the final play of the game of regulation where they got a knuckleball field goal to go through uh, for the win, 52-49. Now you got this Tennessee team. And full disclosure, uh, on the show I had Kentucky last week. I thought that it was a bad spot for Tennessee. I thought that they would get caught looking ahead. Um, I wasn't a fan of the Tennessee defense. Um, They did show up last week, but I don't know how much of that was their defense playing superior or Kentucky, and they've had injuries at the quarterback position as well. He did play last week, came back, but he clearly wasn't the quarterback we saw earlier in the year. They just steamrolled Kentucky. How do you see this game going into Georgia? The defending national champs that have done absolutely nothing wrong. The line was eight. I see some seven and a half floating around as well. Uh, personally, I made this. I thought Georgia should have been 10, 10 and a half in this game. My personal number. I don't know what yours was. My power ratings were nine and a half. Uh, so I, I agree with you. Uh, but I, I'm not getting to the Georgia side just because. Tennessee has impressed me. You look at how many ranked teams they have played. No one's played uh, more ranked teams than Tennessee has. Now, everyone talks about that Tennessee offense. And, yes, they are the best offense. Ohio State might be close, Mm -hmm. but Ohio State keeps having wide receiver injuries. But I I I often talk about comparing what a team does against their opponent's averages. So I think that's a better gauge than saying you have 500 yards because if you're playing New Mexico State, getting 600 yards is not a good performance. You play Georgia, getting 380 yards is a very good performance. So Tennessee is clearly number one on offense in the entire country. They're averaging 162 yards more than their opponents have allowed. Well, guess who's the number one on defense? That would be Georgia. Georgia's holding foes to 140 yards under. But here's the thing people don't talk about. You talk about Hendon Hooker with a 21-1 ratio, and you stay Stenson Bennett with a 9-3 ratio, and, and Carson Beck with a 4-0 ratio. Georgia's offense is number three in the country, averaging 151 yards more than their opponents allow. So Tennessee is one on offense, but Georgia's not only one on defense they're number three on offense with a rush attack averaging over 200 yards per carry and 5.7 yards per carry 
Again, I'm going to watch this game as a fan. You called it the biggest game of the week. I think it's the biggest game of the year. People might have thought that about Alabama-Tennessee, but a couple weeks later and still being the undefeated two, you know, clearly in my mind it is that. And then we'll see if they call Ohio State-Michigan even higher than that at the at the end, at the final week of the regular season. But um, I am going to say this. I lean with the over. I think both teams get their points. And you look at Georgia. Georgia's only allowed over 20 points twice at Missouri. Explain that to me. The Tigers put up 22 and then Kent State put up 22 against them, but only gained 281 yards. So if I think Tennessee can get to 28 and I think Georgia's in that in that 7 to 10 spread and then you add a few extra points and I'm going to lean over on the game and, and watch it as a fan like everyone else. Yeah, I can't disagree with you on the total when you look at the numbers. Uh, what's surprising with both of these teams and a lot of it the balance comes in because you generally have big leads in the games and so you are running the football but I'm amazed at how many times uh, both these teams average running the football per game Uh, they're not just pass happy they are dominant on the ground and it's going to be interesting and if it is a tight game do they play you know do they slow things down not to try to make a mistake because uh, you know the beginning of games a lot of times I would look for an under maybe first half uh, on a game where it's like a prize fight where they're feeling each other out, so to speak, at the beginning of the game. You don't want to make that first costly error and fall behind 7 nothing in a big game. But it will be fun, and I might have some more to say about this uh, later. Ralph, you have something else for us? Yeah, you know, one situation to keep track of in this game. Tennessee at halftime this year, 38 nothing, 24-17, 35 nothing, 17-14, 23-7, 28-20 against Alabama, 52-7, and then 27-6. Let's see what Hendon Hooker does if they're behind early and how that changes the entire the entire concept of their team. Yeah, I do a show, and I can't take credit for this uh, this stat, but uh, my colleague Joe Ranieri uh, actually gave a stat. Uh, on the show earlier in the year regarding Tennessee and the head coach, Josh Heupel. And it went back to his days at Central Florida. He was like 13-2 uh, and two first half against the spread uh, as a head coach, and it's carried over here at Tennessee. And if you remember a couple of years ago, and I've actually talked to John Murray about it uh, on the show as well, the automatic play used to be Alabama. First half, you just laid, and then it got to the point that the book started adjusting it so much because everybody was jumping on it that the value wasn't there. You know, normally it's close to cutting the number in half, and you you know you add you know fifty five percent. Yeah, you know, I'll just uh, this this has nothing to do with football, but in playoff series that O two team down coming home for mm-hmm. the three, we saw last year. The halftime lines were more than the full game lines. Yeah, shows shows you what Vegas is, ma- what type of adjustments Vegas is making yeah. on those. They're not going to give you too many free lunches. Uh, <laughs> they're going to fix something. Uh, if there's a discrepancy in the market, you're going to find out about it right right away. They will fix that. Uh, looking at uh, another game, let's talk about the local team. Uh, we haven't talked about UNLV um, in. I actually like them this week. I think this is a a good spot for UNLV. San Diego State is not your typical San Diego State that we've seen in years past. This team, they got a new stadium this year, so you thought there'd be some buzz coming in. Uh, And uh, I actually went against them that when they opened the stadium up because I thought they were um, being priced 
a little bit high in that game, one based on the name because San Diego State's always been a staple, one of the teams, one of the you know top tier teams in the Mountain West Conference, and then throw in the new stadium. But I look at UNLV. UNLV's had two weeks to prepare uh, for this one. You know they did uh, go to South Bend in their last game. That had to be a thrill for UNLV to go to South Bend. I mean, when you're a college uh, player, I, I mean I obviously grew up on the east coast and you know the storied tradition of notre dame and everything it doesn't matter if notre dame's got a good team or not a good team that's a big deal when you go there and so it's good that they had the week after that off to get refocused and replugged because i would want no part of them if it was last week that they went to south bend but having the extra week i think they can go into san diego state cover this number i actually think they've got a legitimate shot of pulling off the upset in this one if they don't turn the football over i have mixed emotions yes i'm very excited that they're playing better you know as a local fan but you came in after the New Mexico win, you're four and one. You lose forty to seven against San Jose State. You lose forty-two to seven against Air Force. And then you again, the Notre Dame game wasn't bad. You only got a game by 129 yards, but you lose again by 23. So is that defeatist attitude that has been there? It it hasn't crunched in earlier. Now Brumfield should be back. He was banged up and and didn't practice the beginning of the week. But the story really here is San Diego State. San Diego State. 232 yards against Arizona, 173 Utah, 282 Toledo, 114 Boise. They were probably the worst offense in the country. What do they do? They bring off one of their special teams players that played quarterback in high school in Jalen Maiden. He started the last couple games. They put up 317 yards and then 449 yards against Fresno State. With the new offense and a new quarterback and and a jettisoned couple offensive coaches, um, I I am not getting to the UNLV side. I hope they play well, but San Diego State, like you said, always that very meager offense with an excellent defense. They are one and eight as a home favorite in this in this price range. Yeah, and just to comment real quick on that three game losing streak by UNLV when they went to San Jose State. I did like San Jose State in that game. We talked about it here on the show that week. San Jose State's not a bad football team. Uh, So they lost that one. And then you come right back the very next week after playing San Jose State. And that San Jose State game was on a Friday night. You play Air Force, and you know – you get when you play Air Force, you know what's coming. You're going to get a ton of rushing attempts thrown at you. They had 76 rushing uh, they, they, plays. They threw the ball three times, Marco. Okay. No, come on, they so, were a completely run team. That was that was a situation. I throw that one out. Playing Air Force, you know. UNLV hasn't been good against the run to start with, and then you face a team that runs the ball as well as Air Force does, and it's an offense that you don't see all the time. Yes, you play them you know, every year in the Mountain West Conference, but still, it's tough to prepare for that and then go into Notre Dame. They were just in awe, I think, of that one. So I'm high on UNLV in this one. Uh, let's squeeze in uh, one or two more here before the break. In uh, Clemson-Notre Dame. Interesting game. You got Clemson coming off the bye week. They beat Syracuse in their last game. They were life and death against Syracuse in that game. Uh, They ended up winning it by six. They scored 17 unanswered points to get the win. But in that game, 
the uh, starting quarterback, DJ, uh, got benched, pulled, whichever way, Dabo, you want to see the the coach speak with him. Uh, he didn't finish that game, and the freshman came in and had one heck of a game. Now they go to Notre Dame, who ironically played Syracuse last week, beat Syracuse. That was one of my best bets on the show last week, and the reason for it was I felt Syracuse was going to come out flat as a pancake. That that loss to Clemson, we talk about you can lose the same game twice. They were undefeated, and they had that game won. Had they won that game over Clemson, Ralph, you're talking about an undefeated Syracuse team that had a very favorable schedule the rest of the way. I mean, that was a dream crusher game. Nobody thought at the beginning of the year talking undefeated season for Syracuse, but it was going to be a legitimate reality possibility for them had they held on in the Clemson game. And that's why I went against them last week. So as good as Notre Dame looked last week, I think it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors because I think they caught a Syracuse team that was flat and it made it look better for them. How do you see them against Clemson? Well, Marco, you mentioned the Big 12 game where both teams played the same opponent. Again, another unique situation here. Let me give you a different perspective. You look at Clemson, and they only beat Syracuse by six, where Notre Dame beat Syracuse by 17. Clemson only won by six because they are minus three turnovers. They had a 153-yard edge relative to Notre Dame having a 76-yard edge. So the box score tells us Clemson was more dominant. Now, DJ's starting this week, but... If he gets off to a bad start, it's always a concern when your quarterback, a very young quarterback, is thinking, might I, might I not force this throw because I might get yanked and he might, I might get pulled again. Marco, you didn't want to go through a game because you were using it as a best bet. This is one of my best bets, but since we got a couple minutes before the break, I'm going to finish breaking down this game for you. This is, a, this is a game I bet. You look at Notre Dame, and Notre Dame wants to run the ball. When they win the game, they run the ball 50 times, and they're successful. In the games Notre Dame lost, they only rushed for 130 yards against Marshall, 76 yards against Ohio State, and 150 yards against Stanford. They had over 230 yards in the other four wins. Clemson's rush D is number nine. When Notre Dame had their success against those teams that I mentioned, guess what? North Carolina has a number 103 rush D. BYU the number 118. UNLV the number 100 and Syracuse the number 63 rush team and how's this for a stat in red zone defense there's 131 teams in the NCAA Notre Dame is dead last allowing touchdowns on 85 percent of those red zone trips with that type of defense with with a quarterback pine who was 74 percent in his first three starts but has only completed 49% in his last three starts. A Clemson rush D that can shut this Notre Dame team down. Clemson handles this easily for me. And again, it'll be a best bet at the end of the show and a game I personally played. One quick note on DJ. If you remember, two years ago, he actually quarterbacked here at Notre Dame whenever Trevor Lawrence missed the game. I think it was COVID uh, situation. So, And it was a 47-40 shootout. 
at South Bend. So could be a, another good game there. Clemson was the number one team in the country, and they lost to Notre Dame on the road in that game. They'll remember that as well. All right. This is the T.C. Martin Show. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to have Executive Director of Race and Sports at the Westgate Superbook, John Murray, up next here on the T.C. Martin Show. Smith will keep it. He dies for the end zone. He's got a touchdown. Kansas City in one of the greatest comebacks in Chiefs Kingdom history. It's time. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Car out of the shotgun. Looks left. Throws a lob for Michael Crabtree. Caught it. He caught it. He caught it. The Raiders have the lead. 35 34. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Sweet revenge for Michael Crabtree. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I needed that. Starting to feel like football now. That was a good start. That was a good start. We're going to finish for you, all right? The doctor is now in. All right, we're back for a second hour. We got the big hour lined up for you. We'll have John Murray joining us shortly. And of course, at the bottom of the hour, we will have best bets. Trevor Maddich will be joining us. Ralph Michaels is in studio with me. I'm Marco D'Angelo. It is a football Friday, and we're going to bring John Murray on. He is the executive director of the Race and Sportsbook at the Westgate. Superbook and John, thanks for joining the show. How are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? Uh, I tell you what, uh, I'm kind of bummed today that uh, we had to be in studio because uh, mm-hmm. a little afternoon action, uh, horse racing wise, today in the sports book. Is it the sports book jumping with yeah. the Breeders' Cup? It's been good. Yeah, I've been watching the races all day. It's good to have it. Hopefully, tomorrow is better than today in terms of the crowd, but can't complain too much. It was good. Let's talk about uh, Thursday night football last night. And uh, mm-hmm. first segment, I talked about it. At the time, I didn't think it was that big because it was early in the fourth quarter. Uh, so mm-hmm. I thought it was going to, you know, some more points would be scored. And I, I wouldn't feel as bad about having 45 and a half under last night as I did. But uh, the two point mm-hmm. conversion, uh, did that change the uh, ledger much for you guys last night, one way or the other? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it really, it really wasn't a much of an action game for us as far as like NFL primetime game, NFL primetime games go. We just wanted Houston to cover. Uh, we we wanted Houston to win, of course, but that wasn't going to happen. So, just getting them to cover the game was. We, we were pretty happy with the result. There wasn't a ton of difference on the total. Hey, John Ralph here. Uh, speaking about the Thursday night, you said it wasn't widely bet. How did the handle mm-hmm. compare to the World Series game? Uh, it was still more than the World Series game. Uh, I, I just mean relative to uh, a normal like NFL is so far and away the biggest sport in the sports book. It's not even close. So for for the baseball game to even be neck and neck with the NFL game says a lot about the NFL game. I mean we, we've had we had some Thursday night games this season where our handle was through the roof. Like uh, Chargers Chiefs was one, and I think Bucks Ravens was another. Uh, last night there just wasn't a whole lot of interest. It's still better than having Washington in Chicago or uh, having Denver. That was a struggle. <laughs> that was a, the, 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 uh, Denver, Indianapolis. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, they, they're really Amazon's really getting their money's worth. Absolutely, uh, John. Let's uh, shift over to the World Series, and I, I know we talked mm-hmm. about it last week. You guys have a lot of li- you know liability, as most books do around town with uh, Houston. When you go to Game Six now, in do you factor in anything whenever you're setting the number? Um, with the liability, if Houston, you know, do you try to get some action on Philly? We're okay. We're, we're, we, we do, we do much better on Philadelphia, but we're okay on Houston. We, we took some, some big Philadelphia series prize bets, uh, before the series started and we're, we actually win to both teams right now. We do lose some money on Philadelphia at the Superbook in New Jersey, but overall, we'll win. Uh, we'll win on either team, and it, unless you've got a huge liability uh, in the futures book, it's really not a good idea to book that way, game to game. I mean, just you're, you're much better off just just sticking with the market. Or if you have a sharp player or sharp players showing you the way, you can go that way. But getting into a situation where you're booking games based on your futures need is not a desirable spot to be. And, and thankfully, we're not there right now. With uh, going to game six of the first five games in the book, obviously, um, how's the betting been as far as are the Joes cashing or are the pros cashing? I'd say last night I, I would call them the Joes were cashing, but uh, otherwise it's been pretty even, pretty back and forth. Like in, in New Jersey, we have a lot of money on the Phillies every game, and here we've been having a lot of money on Houston. So pretty pretty even, to tell you the truth. And I'm looking at the bets right now for game six, and we have exactly as many tickets on the Phillies as we do the Astros to the number. So, uh, so far it's very early, but uh, so far it looks like another very evenly bet game. Anything on the total uh, with your players? No, nothing yet. I, you know, this is such a great pitching matchup. That's why you see such a low total. We get worth six and a half twenty right now. Nothing to report as of uh, as of right now. But people will start looking at this game a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, so we'll talk about uh, some of the games that you are seeing some action here as we shift to football. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go to the NFL first because we haven't really talked any uh, NFL games and. Uh, we'll talk with our local team. Uh, you seeing any action in the uh, Raiders as they play <laughs> Jacksonville, a team that I really don't want to be involved with, but yet uh, yeah. it's there. you got to handicap it. you got to look at it. Uh, how are you seeing that one? A lot of money on the Raiders. Uh, we get that pretty much every week, although I will say it's not nearly as much as last week. I think the goose egg in New Orleans – uh, scared some people away. If you're talking about sharp action, the over, we got some really sharp play on the over here and in New Jersey. And we've moved our total all the way from 46 to 48 on the Raiders game. So the sharp guys seem to like the over. Maybe Trevor Lawrence uh, turns the ball over, gives the Raiders some short fields. Uh, certainly a possibility there from what I've seen of Lawrence this season. Don't they usually give the teams a bye after they play in London? Wasn't Jacksonville in London last week? They were, but they haven't been. Uh, they haven't been doing that this year. You know year. what, John? It is up oh, to the. I it, they is, always did that. it is up to the NFL GM. They are the ones that decide the NFL. The NFL gives them the option to take the bye mm-hmm. or keep it at a different week. So that's completely up to the NFL teams what they want to do. It's interesting. I well, been, I would yeah. I would probably take the bye week, but I guess uh, I mean I'm, I I wouldn't want to measure myself up against whoever's running the Jaguars. 
Well, you know, Trevor Lawrence now 8-16 and 16 ATS as a starter, and I did pull this out of the database since 2015. NFL teams that are off a shutout loss have gone 20-7 and seven against the spread the next week. So wow. uh, there is some pride, and they have bounced back. Yeah, and John, you said that that total, that you are getting money on the over. If you, I remember yeah. correctly last week, everybody and their brother was betting the over with the, the Raider-Saints game. Yeah. Oh, they were, and 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 the Saints, I guess, held up their end of the bargain. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know what's going on with the Raiders. I mean, I, I, all, all I can say is if it keeps going like this, I think Josh McDaniels will be back with the Patriots next season. Yeah, that's not been a good uh, first season for him uh, here. And then plus, first, with uh, if there is another season, yeah. it might be season one. I, I don't, I, I didn't like the hire at the time, and it's not going well. Uh. Talking about some other NFL games, where are you seeing uh, some sharp action this week, or where do you have some uh, big liability? It's really sharp action on Carolina. You know, Carolina, after that long throw to D.J. Moore, they obviously should have won last week against Atlanta. They ended up losing in overtime. Carolina, when it was at 7.5, we had some real sharp players take that. That knocked us down to 7. Right now we got the Bengals minus 7, minus 120. The Jets. Are, are uh, I guess the, the the wise guys finally found a number they like the Jets on at least with our book, and they've knocked us down from 13 to 11 and a half. Buffalo's got some injury issues that they're dealing with. I guess they thought that number was a little bit too high. And then the the Chargers and Falcons is a game where we've had sharp guys on both sides of the game. So we've seen really respected groups laying three and taking three in different states. So good, really good two-way handle on that game. That'll be one of the more interesting games for us in the morning on Sunday. Yeah, and you you look at that uh, game with the Chargers in Atlanta, and you talk about Carolina. Those two teams play on Thursday night, and I always like to look to see who the Thursday night game is because I think it it affects the team the week before. And in this instance, it is going to be Carolina-Atlanta. They would be playing for the second time in three weeks because, as you said, you had that thriller last week that uh, Carolina actually should have won the game, you know, kicking the extra yeah. point, but missing the extra point thanks to a unsportsmanlike conduct for taking your helmet off after, you know, a sensational play. I, you know, I'll go on my 10-second rant. Uh, you can do a choreographed celebration in the, in the end zone, and that's okay, but you make a sensational play in the final seconds of a game to the winning touchdown should have been, and you take your mm-hmm. helmet off and you get penalized 15 yards. It's just... It is the rule, and you got to obey it. But I think that is the—it's idiotic to call that in that position. Well, NFL officiating is usually so reliable and, and logical that uh, a, a scene like that was truly shocking. I don't know what DJ Moore was thinking. Everybody knows that rule. You, Everybody knows you can't take off your helmet. But you get that, ca- that, you get caught up in the moment. You know, it, it's like yeah. it was a and I the play. It wasn't like it was a hell mary, and he and he pulled it in. He got legitimately behind the defenders, and it was a perfect throw and catch mm-hmm. for for game winning touchdown. I mean, I would have been celebrating too. It, it's dumb, but it is what it is. I'm just glad that uh, Atlanta did not end up scoring a touchdown uh, in overtime because I did have Carolina plus four, and I, I definitely would. That would have been very. <laughs> Fortunate. That was, that would have been a tough a tough one there. What uh, what other action are you seeing some uh, sharp play in? And you can uh, if you got something in college, that's good too. Well, they're they're um, 
they're definitely taking Seattle. Uh, Seattle's on the road against Arizona. I'm not a big Cliff Kingsbury guy, and it just seems like it seems like we're not pricing the Seahawks correctly because we seem to get money on them every week. They bet Seattle last week against the Giants. The Seahawks won that game by two touchdowns, and, and Seattle's a team that's just. We we just had them wrong coming into the season. I, at some point, you have to just accept the fact that we were totally wrong about them. We thought they were going to be lousy. We thought they had traded away Russell Wilson, and they were just hitting reset on a complete rebuild. And now you look up, and they're right in the middle of the NFC playoff picture. Sharp guys seem to be backing them every week, and they're doing so again this week. Uh, you want to talk about college football? Mississippi State is a, is one that we've seen a number of sharp players on. Uh, also, Iowa. I think they're at Purdue, if I remember that correctly. Yes. And everybody's on everybody's on Tennessee. So, just like about a month ago, when Tennessee hosted Alabama, and the whole world was on Tennessee, they won that game outright, and they're doing it again this week. So, Tennessee. I'm not calling it sharp play, but Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is one that we're seeing a lot of a lot of action on, a lot of public money on the on the balls. Yeah, I. I look at Tennessee plus the points, and I know they got the job done with Alabama, but it seems like every week there's one dog that everybody wants to jump on. And a few weeks ago it was Penn State against Michigan. Everybody was on Penn State. Then it was UCLA going to Oregon. Everybody was on UCLA. And I just – it makes me – uh, <laughs> woozy whenever I see everybody wanting to take a, take the dog. The I like to call it the sharp square dog, and uh, I, I'm leaning to Georgia, but uh, we'll see how that one uh, works out on Saturday. Uh, John, the uh, Westgate Super Contest uh, in full swing, but uh, if you haven't played yet, you're, you got a chance for the reboot, correct? Yeah, you can still sign up for the reboot. It starts this week. This is week t- uh, or this is this week nine or week ten. This is all, week the, all the weeks. Yeah, all the this weeks is week the nine to me. Yeah, this is week nine this is for the NFL. Week, this feels like this feels like week thirty to me. This is week <laughs> nine. Okay, so I, I apologize then. Let me let me start my spiel again. Okay. So the reboot starts next week in okay. week ten. So you have one more week to sign up, and then if you're in the super contest already. Next week we'll start a new three-week contest, a new six-week contest, and a new nine-week contest as well. But you can still come in, sign up for the reboot right now. It's 500 bucks, and it covers those last nine weeks of the NFL regular season, which to me it feels like we're past week nine. That, so I, that was my mistake. I, I feel like it's been a lot longer than that. Oh, it definitely uh, – the seasons blend together <laughs> and all the sports yeah. going on. And uh, you get started on uh, Monday. We got college basketball uh, full yeah. swing. And I was talking. Uh, Ralph Michaels is in studio with me, and we were talking the other day. We don't remember the opening day of college basketball being on a Monday. You know, because why would you want to compete with um, you know NFL? Let you know let Monday Night Football have their their day, and then you know you start mm-hmm. on a Tuesday and go all day long. But they're starting on Monday this year. Uh, you know, Mark. When I, did I, they? I thought that. Through when did and they I think, do? Uh, no, no, Ralph. I'm sorry. Uh, what, what I was going to say is, when did they do those like 24 hours of college basketball? Was that not a Monday? Remember when they used to do that thing where they'd play all through the night? 
Yeah, they started it Monday at midnight, but it was actually Tuesday. Monday at midnight. Right. Okay. But okay. Yeah. I, I got think, you. I think, Marco, they moved it this year. The season used to start about the 15th or the 13th. I think because of Election Day, they probably moved it to Monday because there's only like 10 college basketball games on Tuesday. So perhaps Election Day made him change this year, but I don't know that for a fact. John, by the way, there are 126 games next Monday in College Hoops. Oh, I'm well aware of that. We've been, we've been doing our because uh, we've been working on our schedule. We put out our schedule every Friday. And, you know, the last, what are we talking about? Going all the way back to the end of college basketball season, Mondays are a pretty slow day. I mean, even during football season, yeah, you've got Monday night football, but you're not really super busy in terms of data entry and games and half times until this Monday. And, we, you know, you've got to move a few people's schedules around, change some days off, make sure you have enough coverage. That's a lot of half times. There's no sport that's more laborious for the risk team and the, the bookmakers or the traders, as some people call them, than college basketball. College basketball is brutal for the guys back there. I will say this, this year on that Monday, it kicks off at noon, Baylor plays Mississippi Valley State, and then Stanford mm -hmm. tips off at 11 a.m. Pacific against, uh, uh, against Pacific, and so they do have games scheduled starting at noon Eastern on Monday morning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense That's great. to have a West Coast team uh, at 11, 11 a.m., that I don't get that. <laughs> hey, I, I like this time of year in college basketball. I like going to those, uh, like T-Mobile will have a few events, and obviously the Maui Invitational. I mean, this is a, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, college basketball is basically the best. It is, but it also has got to be for you those, those early weeks, um, that first week, I mean, we're all adjusting. You're doing your job putting the numbers up and, and rating everybody how you feel they are in power rating, and we're doing our job, and it's you know us against you. How quickly are, do you guys adjust to a number that those first uh, few uh, games uh, of the college basketball season uh, when you're getting respected mm -hmm. money? Well, you better move quickly. You better move the numbers aggressively, and we'll, we'll train our, our newer people to, like, you don't move a total by half a point when you take a sharp bet from some of these guys. Sometimes you might move it by three and a half, four points. I mean, you talk about the bets that win at the highest percentage. I would say it's those first few weeks of college basketball from the sharpest syndicates, the sharpest players. Those bets win at a ridiculous percentage. And then that percentage lowers as usually as – I'm speaking in generalities, but normally as the season goes – their edge decreases as the market gets better, and they don't win at the same percentage they were winning at those first few weeks. But these first few weeks in November, December, those syndicates do very, very well. And you need to make sure you're moving aggressively when they bet. You need to know who they are, and you need to move quickly when they make a wager, and you need to try to write some money against them. John, I would just reading between the lines there with you, and we've seen it mm -hmm. over the years, totals have got to be the your where you have the most liability with the sharp players, I would think. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, those are the best players, but that's why you keep the limits lower. You know, you don't you don't have guys. I mean, I'm not going to speak for other places, but I don't, I wouldn't advise you to let people bet ten or twenty thousand on a college basketball first half total. Uh, I mean, those are the plays where the players have the biggest edge. It's hard to write money back against it. And it's just not – you, you want to make sure you're taking reasonable limits on plays like that because those plays win at a very good percentage. And it's just hard to beat those players. Those players definitely have an edge against the book, especially at the beginning of the season. And anyone that argued against that would just be not being truthful.
Yeah, it's, uh, we appreciate you guys, uh, you know, letting us take a peek behind the curtain all the time and, and see the interactions of the sports book. And it, and it is, it's, you know, it's a chess game. Uh, you know, you, you've got us against you and, uh, the sharps and so forth, and you got to adjust. And then, uh, over the last, uh, you know, with as the syndicates grow and things become, you know, even tighter, uh, we see sometimes, uh, if you want to use the term, a first bet head fake uh, will send something one way, and then uh, later on, you know, when it's later in the day and the market has moved, you start seeing money come the other way, and it comes hard and late. Uh, you, would you, you agree with that? Will see, oh, there's no doubt about that. It's, you def, but you're not going to get that. I'm not going to say never, but you're not really going to get that on the half times. Okay. And and those those half time and first half plays are the ones that the players seem to have the most success with. Although they do well in the games too, and of course you you've got to be prepared for fake bets on those totals, and that's why you really need to make sure that your team has a good idea of what the number should be. If you have a good idea of what the number should be. It's easier to spot the fake bets. John, how much harder is it in college basketball now with the transfer portal? We've seen what a big difference it is. I mean, you used to be able to look at recruiting numbers and say this team has zero returning starters, this team has five, Mm -hmm. this team doesn't return a point guard. But the influx now of, I mean, the recruiting numbers are really out the window, and, and you're starting to get transfer ranks as well. Does that make your job harder or easier? I think it makes it somewhat harder on college basketball, but where that really makes it harder is is college football bowl season. You know, booking those college bowls last year was an absolute nightmare because you had all these players in the transfer portal or maybe they're going to enter the draft or maybe they have COVID, and we had no idea who was going to play in a lot of these bowl games. In college basketball, at least you can read up on who went where, and you should really look at the coaches of these teams to see who's going to be able to do a good job of integrating these new players into their rosters. Uh, There's just some coaches I trust greatly and some coaches I don't trust at all, so that's where I'd start there. But I think that transfer portal is a lot harder in football. I mean, look, look at that LSU bowl game last year against Kansas State where the whole LSU team decided not to play. Yeah, Ohio, uh, that, that, Ohio State's two wide receivers in the Rose Bowl as well. You know, it yeah. was the same situation. That, that's a nightmare. Booking the bowl games uh, the last couple of years with the transfer portal and the draft and COVID, uh, it, was, it was really tough. And, and I, I think at least in college basketball, you can pick up a, a, rib, a blue ribbon or one of the other preview magazines, and you've got you've got an idea of what the team's going to look like, especially based on the coach. College basketball, so much of it runs through the coach. Yeah, it's got to make it tough uh, for you guys. And the bowl games, the problem is they're so far out, and you guys want to get the number. You know, everybody wants to be you know first to the market. You know, but. Mm-hmm. Then you're sitting there with a number that's, you know, three weeks away. And like you said, the minute somebody gets word uh, of somebody being out, you know what happens as soon as you get a big bet. <laughs> you know, if you if you didn't get it first, you're going to get it in 30 seconds. And uh, you'll oh, know true. you'll you'll know right away. And it and it always seems that uh, somebody knows somebody before it goes public (laughs) well we used to we used to put up the bowl game lines right when the bowl game matchups were set and you could do it with confidence that at the very least the teams were going to try i mean yeah yes you might have a couple players that are not going to play because of the draft or because of an injury or maybe an academic suspension which would happen sometimes over like the christmas break they would take their finals for the fall semester i did see that before but now you just don't even know if they care at all about the bowl game 
And it's I appreciate this segment too because you guys are giving me a chance to talk about how hard our job is, <laughs> and, and and lending this like sympathetic ear. So, uh, no, that that's the I'm already dreading the bowl season and just thinking about all that. I'm not really worried about it as much in college hoops. I'm excited about college hoops. Yeah, well, we always say you know the books have the advantage because you know you're dealing at minus one ten, um, mm-hmm. and you got to put up you know a game a number on every game where at least us as you know the betters we don't have to bet every game we can pick and choose what games you know we like and where we feel that we have the edge you got to be right uh you know not right on every game but you have to have an opinion on every game so to speak to set that number to, to see where it's at so i don't envy you guys i'm probably one of the few guys that actually respect you guys a lot more everybody thinks they're they're smarter than the book but i i give you guys credit uh every time a game falls every time a game falls like you know you got a total like last night it was 45 and a half they don't make the the two-point conversion it falls on 45 you know they kick the you know you kick the extra point like you're supposed to but you guys land right on the numbers you know a major a good majority of the time so i give you guys your props Hey, John. I don't know. I mean, those people on gambling Twitter are pretty smart. I mean, just just if you read their tweets talking about themselves, you can tell how smart they are. Well, so never, I don't know about they're, that. They're never wrong. I do have a, a simple one of hell question. Maybe it's not simple, okay. but a very general question. You know, with the advent of, of first quarter, first halves, and all the extra bets, how much of mm-hmm. a, how much of an NFL 100% pie on a Sunday is straight sides? How many is how much is what percentage straight totals, and what percent are the other bets? Straight sides for the and totals for the game. Yes, uh, I don't. Gosh, I don't. I mean, it's a lot less than people think it is, because I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that sometimes I'll, I'll send out the the to the executive team here like what teams we're rooting for, and I try to keep it like very basic because they're not all big sports fans. And then when it doesn't play out exactly how it should have based on my text, I'll be like, well, we lost on this first half and this second half and this first quarter and this live wagering. I mean, as you add more and more of these markets, player props, the game side bets become less and less of your handle. And those game side bets are where you, the market is the strongest, so you usually have a good hold percentage on that. So that's going to dilute the hold percentage a little bit as you add more and more and more of these markets. Uh, I don't really know what the percentage is. I'd have to look it up, but I'm sure whatever it is, it's lower than ever because you've got more markets now than ever before, which makes it harder to hold. Absolutely, and we just go back to you know Super Bowls when we talk every year. Whenever they do the recap of how much money's bet, every year you guys you know seem to keep you know breaking the previous year's record, and it's because. Mm One, you got more people betting now, but two, there's more things to bet on, and you know, so you're constantly putting more money and you know into action. And it's it's not your old you know father's football where you're betting either the side or total, and and that's it. No, you know? so it's definitely a, a market, and that's one thing that you know we are starting to get more and more here in Vegas, but we will see it the uh, other states opening up and offering all of the different options is, you know, forcing you guys' hand, you know, the different books in Nevada to have to start offering more things as well. So that's good for everybody involved, both the players and the house, in my opinion. Uh, sometimes, but, you know, you get, you know, you because we, we offer all that stuff in, in the other states that we're operating in, and it, it's it's tough. It's tough to integrate those all those markets and keep an eye on all of those bets 
the players definitely have an edge, especially when you get into some of those really specific player props. And it can be tough to manage. And that's why you see lower limits on that stuff. And that's when you see our friends on gambling Twitter. And, you know, they don't, they don't handle stuff like that very well. Very emotional group. Yes, they are. Uh, John, as always, we appreciate you stopping by the T.C. Martin Show. We'll be back there live uh, at the Westgate Superbook next Friday from 2 to 4. Look forward to talking to you in person. And uh, if you're playing the Breeders' Cup, good luck, uh, John. Cash a couple tickets today. Well, I can't do any worse than I did today. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, I'll be around next Friday. All right, John, take care. Uh, take that care, was guys. John Murray, the executive director of the Superbook at the Westgate. And if you have not been to the Superbook, you are missing out one of the premier sports books here in Las Vegas. This is the T.C. Martin Show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, you know what time it is. It's Best Bets. What's up, y'all? This is Sinbad. You're checking my boy, T.C. Martin. Talking about what's happening. All right, welcome back to the TC Martin Show. I'm Marco D'Angelo in studio with Ralph Michaels. It is Football Friday, and it is time for best bets. We're going to bring Trevor Maddich on. Time for best bets here on the TC Martin Show. It's Football Friday, and time for the weekend's action. Here's the best bets. All right, let's bring him in, Trevor Maddich. Trevor, are you there? Marco, I am here. All right, we're trying not to wreck the bus here for TC today, and uh, Trevor, we're going to have to deliver some winners this week, and we can make fun of TC because he's not here. And uh, you've been doing quite well this year, my friend. You mean it's uh, making fun of TC? Yeah, I, I, it's a lifestyle to make fun of TC when he's not here, isn't it? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, he's enjoying himself at the World Series. And uh, when he texted me today and you know told me to remind everybody he'll be back Monday unless there's a Game Seven, and apparently I'm going to be back Monday uh, if there is a Game Seven because he's still going to be partying down there with Dusty and uh, Mattress Mac. But we got football, my friend, in. College football, you got some winners for us this week? You know what? I, I think I do. I, I feel pretty good about these, Marco. Now, but I'd ask you what you think about it because you're actually a trained professional and a certified space alien. <laughs> uh, I, I kid that when you pull back your eyelid, a light shoots out. And, and I haven't disproven that in person. So I, I do believe that just because your picks are so clairvoyant. But I'm going to start with, a uh, well, I'm going to start with a with a game that's uh, that's ugly, uh, and I think it's going to be beautiful in the end. This is UMass at UConn. Now, how do you pick? These are two of the worst teams in the country, and I, I've got under 40 in this game. And, and the reason I do is that both offenses are relatively putrid. Both defenses are less putrid, but I would consider them awful. Uh, but that's better than putrid. And when you look at the way that they run their offense, both sides can't throw the ball to save their lives. Neither side can throw the ball. Both sides run the ball far more than average, and they run the ball at a very slow pace. And so I think you've got, you've got two defenses that are better than the offenses, two offenses that are one-dimensional, 
that run at a slow pace. And with the, with the total of 40, I think that is absolutely the direction to go here. Then, North Carolina is at Virginia, and they're laying seven and a half. And I, I, I've, got, I've got the Tar Heels and lay the points. That's a lot of points on the road. But Virginia's offense, talk about putrid. I mean, they're horrifically bad this year. Last week they played Miami in a game that people said is like watching paint dry. And my thought was, you know, paint actually tweeted out, don't blame, don't compare this to watching me dry. You know, it's unfair to paint drying to watch that game. There were four field goals in regulation, and then it went to overtime, and nobody could still score a touchdown in overtime. It was terrible. And I think Miami ended up winning that game. Um, but Or did Virginia? I don't even know. I turned it off at that point. Either way, it was terrible. But Virginia just can't move the ball. Now, North Carolina can't stop anybody. So Virginia can't move it. North Carolina can't stop you. And so what happens there? Well, what happens is on the other side. Virginia's defense is pretty good, and Drake May in the North Carolina offense is phenomenal. And Drake May has, has just made mincemeat of pretty good defenses. I just don't see how North Carolina has, or excuse me, how Virginia has any way to keep up on offense. It's a lot of points to lay on the road, but I feel comfortable taking North Carolina minus seven. And then I almost feel dirty taking this, this last one. It is Air Force and Army, and what is the what is the the protocol when you've got a service academy game? Under it is <laughs> under, and I feel terrible about this because that's a pretty high total. I mean, they've got it at forty and a half. And I think, well, why do they have it at forty and a half? Because when you look at Army Air Force games, not just service academy, these two teams going back to twenty fourteen, there has not been a single total. Over 40, not one, not a single time. And this Army team is not as good as it's been in the past. The Air Force has been disappointing. They're not as good as they've been in the past. And Army has a a potential first-round draft choice on the defensive line, Andre Carter, who is absolutely phenomenal. He's just great, 6'7", about 250. He will also further gum up the Air Force offense if he comes back from injury, which we expect him to. And so I just think that this game is another safe pick under. And so I've got two unders and a seven and a half point favorite on the road. And, and I feel like I should feel bad about that, Marco, but I feel good. <laughs> All right. There we have the three college plays from Trevor. Ralph, what are your three plays? I think you talked about a couple of them. I did, Marco. I'm going to go with two games we talked to earlier, so if you missed those, go back and hear them. I'm going to lay Clemson. Defense completely shuts down Notre Dame's rush attack, forcing the quarterback to throw. He'll get in trouble. Wake Forest, again, Leary out for the year. I do like this Wake Forest team off one of the most misleading finals last year with minus seven turnovers. And since Trevor went with two unders, i got to balance it out a little bit. I'm going to go with an over. I'm going with Oregon and Colorado over 63. You know, you normally don't see Oregon games in the 63 level, and that's because people think Colorado's offense is so bad. But I'll tell you what, J.T. Strout is becoming a decent quarterback. His percentage isn't high because he throws so many deep balls. And you look what Jordan Tyson, their wide receiver, he is a dynamic wide receiver, and they're trying to get him the ball more, and he's breaking many, many wide passes. Oregon's rush the, excuse me, Oregon's pass the on the season, allowing a sieve-like 
67% completions, and the offense doing what they normally do, scoring 42 points per game. So Clemson, Wake Forest, and Oregon, Colorado over the total. All right, for my three in college football, we talked about one of them, Ralph. We talked about that Texas-Kansas State game. I am taking Texas. I'm going with the Longhorns. I'm going to lay the two and a half. I think they're begging you to take Kansas State this weekend. Having that extra week to prepare for Texas is going to have them ready. And then the big one, Georgia and Tennessee. I'm taking Georgia. I'm going to lay the eight points here. And to me, both teams have great offenses. There's no question about that. But there's only one team that has a great defense in this game, and that is Georgia. I'm going to look for them to get the job done. I know Tennessee has been everybody's darling this year, and why not? But Georgia is the defending national champs, and they have yet to do anything wrong. And I think they might feel just a little disrespected with that first poll that came out from the playoffs. So I'm going to go ahead and take Georgia minus the eight. And then, uh, Trevor, this is one of those ones you're going to say, where did you come up with this one at? Uh, taking a look at James Madison plus the points at Louisville. And this is a spot where, uh, yes, James Madison, after winning their first five games of the season and covering all five, they did lose their last two games. I'll point out that they had nine turnovers in those two games. But the reason I'm taking James Madison here is the situation Louisville is coming off of playing ACC foe last week, Wake Forest. They were gifted that win with eight turnovers. But more importantly, look at the schedule. This is a non-conference game, and it's sandwiched in between Wake Forest and Clemson on deck. Louisville's going to get caught looking ahead in this one. I'm taking James Madison plus the points for my three. And before I kick it back to you, Trevor, I do have TC's three plays. He's got Texas A&M minus three over Florida this week. He is agreeing with me. Uh Uh-oh, maybe I should be scared. He is agreeing with me on Georgia. He's laying the eight points against Tennessee. And the last one, he's laying some chalk on the road here. Alabama minus 13 and a half at LSU. Uh, I guess he is looking for Coach Saban not to take any prisoners this week. Those are TC's three plays. Trevor, kick it back to you. Bring us home with three NFL winners. All right. NFL. This is this is kind of a I don't know, it feels like a weird week in the NFL. Buffalo won their game last week, but did not cover. They were 11-point favorites against the Packers, and they won by 10. I had Buffalo. I am angry with Buffalo. <laughs> They're at the Jets this week, and the, the, the total is 46-and-a-half. And I am taking the under on that total. The reason is that I don't trust Buffalo's offense now. I just don't. There have been too many times when they've made terrible mistakes, and Josh Allen, their quarterback, has been up and down and up and down. But he's been down way too many times for, for my liking. And this is a Jets defense. And remember, they're playing in New York. A Jets defense that is capable. It's a pretty good Jets defense. On the other side, you've got a Buffalo defense that can be hell on wheels when it wants to be. And I think they will here. It's a division game. It's just massive. I think the Jets will have a whole lot of problems moving the ball and, and finishing drives, in part because of injury on the offensive line, etc. And so I, I think that Buffalo will hold the score down. And I think the Jets can do enough to put a roadblock in front of uh, the Bills' offense 
to also not hold them down necessarily, but to keep these things under the total of 46.5. Then Seattle is getting two points at the Cardinals. And I know, uh, Marco, you, you always like it when I take a, uh, uh, an underdog. So this is my underdog, just to make you happy. This is uh, a game, though, that the um, Seahawks won the first one 19-9 in Seattle. This one is at Arizona. And so I think the Seahawks are a team that's trending in a great direction. I mean, Geno Smith and the offense have been playing way above expectation. And the Seattle defense, which has been pretty awful to start the season, for the last three games, they've been pretty phenomenal. And so I I like the trend of the Seattle defense. I mean, their first five games, they averaged about 31 points a game given up. But the last three, they've averaged 15 given up. So I like the direction of Seattle. And so I'm going with the Seahawks plus two. And then the Packers, darn those Packers, for coming within 10 of of Buffalo, they're laying three and a half at Detroit. And the Packers are reeling right now. They're in desperation mode. You know, you talk about the situation and and the timing. This is a situation where the Packers have to win. They're in danger of missing the playoffs altogether. The thing that's in their favor is that Detroit has the worst defense in the entire NFL. They're just horrifically bad. And even though Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback, is still, you know, has lingering issues with that injured hand, um, and even though his receivers haven't stepped up yet, I just see them as being equal to or better than any kind of a pass catch at Jared Goff and the Lions can throw up at him, especially since, you know, Green Bay's defense has actually been kind of underrated. They've actually been playing quite well. So that's why I like the Packers. You've got two offenses where the Packers, I think, have an edge, and two defenses where the Green Bay defense is vastly better than the Detroit defense. And so I'm taking the Packers, and I'm laying the three and a half. All right, good stuff there, Trevor. Let's see what Ralph's going to come with with his three best bets. Well, you know, I'm going to start with the game that I agree with Trevor and, and I already bet, and it's the under on, on Buffalo and the Jets. You know, he talked about the Jets' defense being good. The Jets' defense is number three in the NFL, allowing 4.47 yards per play. They've been excellent, way past good. The Bills' defense comes in at number six. Buffalo now with five straight unders. The Jets with three straight unders. And how about this number? This season in the NFL... Division teams, when they're playing each other, have gone under the total 74.7% of the time. There have been 30, excuse me, there have been 40 division games in the NFL, 10 overs, 28 unders, and two pushes. Number two, since you said we have to use a dog, I'm going to go with the L.A. Rams plus three. Now, I know the Rams offense has been ugly, but it's been nothing compared to this Tampa Bay offense. I think the wrong team is favored. Bucks a shell of themselves. Their rush attack, the last four weeks, 3.04 yards per carry. Their rush defense, they've allowed 186 yards per game and 5.8 yards per carry if we leave out your Pittsburgh Steelers because <laughs> I don't call them an NFL team. So their last four NFL teams that they faced. And I went to the database for this, Marco. Listen to this technical angle. If you play on a non-division away dog of five or less, that is off a loss as a home dog or pick that scored under 21 points. So the Rams are a non-conference, non-conference away dog. They scored under 21 points last week. They're getting five or less. 
in the NFL in the last seven years, those teams have gone 24-2 and against the spread, 92.3%. And my last pick, I'm taking the L.A. Chargers. Yes, the Chargers offense has struggled, and, and Herbert's been banged up. But this Atlanta team, number 30 in yards per game diff, that's second last in the NFL. They're minus 95 yards per game. The Chargers are number 14 at plus 11 yards per game. That's like a team that should have a winning record versus the losing. They're 3-0 ATS on the road this year. They've gone to KC, Houston, and Cleveland, and they've outgained those foes by 59 yards per game. And the Falcons' D has allowed over 1,000 yards the last two weeks. They're getting exposed. All right, before I get to mine, I'm going to read TC's uh, NFL plays. He's going with the New York Jets, plus 12 against Buffalo. Everybody's involved in that game so far. Uh, That's the Jets plus 12 for TC. TC agrees with you on Green Bay, Trevor. He's laying the three and a half on the road at Detroit. And for his final play, He's in the Arizona-Seattle game, but he is on the Cardinals minus two. Uh, He's going to step in uh, front of that Seattle freight train. I didn't see that coming uh, with Seattle this year playing as well as they are, but TC is going to go with Arizona minus two. For me, I'm going to go to the Charger game as well. I like the L.A. Chargers minus the three points against Atlanta. A couple things in this game. It is... Uh, bye week. They're coming off the bye week, so the Chargers have had two weeks to prepare for Atlanta. Atlanta got a win last week. We talked about it earlier in the show and how that game ended and went to overtime. That game against Carolina, they get to play Carolina right back next week. So this is kind of a sandwich spot for Atlanta. But more importantly, that game is on Thursday night. How often is the Atlanta Falcons going to be on primetime football? They're going to be looking ahead to Thursday night. I'm taking the Chargers. I'm going to lay the three. Now, this one, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, guys. uh, I thought this week's NFL card was tough, and uh, I had to reach for one. And I swore I was not taking this team again this season, but I'm taking them. I'm going with the Indianapolis Colts, plus the five and a half against New England. Yes, I know Belichick makes young quarterbacks look silly, but you know what? I'm looking at this New England offense, and I had New England last week as a big play, and I had to sweat it the entire game. Um, The Jets were banged up last week in New England. It took everything they had to get that win. I think Indianapolis, with their defense, is going to be able to stay in this game. Yes, the offense has struggled this year, but the defense has kept them in the games and if I can get a good defense getting a solid number here plus five and a half we've seen road dogs do well so far this year in the NFL I'm gonna ride that freight train and for my third and final play I'm gonna go with a total and we're gonna look at the Miami Chicago game under 45 and a half now if you look at this one on paper you're going to want to jump on the over if you look at last week's scores because both teams were involved in high scoring games and all of a sudden Chicago's had back-to-back high scoring games Chicago scored 33 on Monday night football a couple weeks ago and then came back last week they got drilled in that 49-29 game so why in the world do I want the under in this one well If you go back to the Monday night game, they got those 33 points. A lot of it was aided by four 
turnovers by New England. That helped their cause. And then last week, it was a bad spot for Chicago. I had Dallas in that game. Dallas got out to an early lead, and that changed the complexion of the game because Chicago fell behind early. They had to force the issue. They didn't do as much of what they like to do, and that is run the football. They did get, uh, still had yardage in that game. They ran it uh, for 240 yards, but it was one of those games that it was back and forth, and they took the day off defensively. I don't see that happening in this one with Miami. In Miami, you look at their last game, was 31 27, but that was against Detroit. Detroit also jumped out to a 14 nothing lead in that one and so often whenever you get those two quick scores it dictates the tempo for the rest of the game and the fact that Miami was able to come back and get back in the ball game they just kept trading touchdowns and that one went over the total the early number on that game was 41 and a half Ralph the look ahead line but because of last week's results they adjusted that line four points I think it's an overreaction. I'm taking under in the Miami game. Trevor, we got like a minute and a half here. I want to ask you, you saw the first football pool, uh, the coach, not the coach's poll, but the playoff uh, rankings. Do you agree or disagree? You know, I mostly agree. A lot of people are upset that TCU is undefeated in number seven. One loss, Alabama is at six. Clemson with a very similar resume is at number four. And, and a lot of people think TCU is being disrespected there. And I kind of agree because they, they didn't necessarily uh, control their games. I mean, I guess Kansas State and Oklahoma State, they trailed by double digits before they came back. Last week against West Virginia, TCU trailed by a touchdown twice in the first half before they finally came back for good. And I think the committee just didn't like it that they were living on the edge the way they were. If they went out and go undefeated, they'll, they'll definitely be in the playoff. But I almost took TCU minus eight and a half against Texas Tech in Fort Worth. And, and I, instead, I went with the under on the UConn-UMass game. But I'm kind of wondering why you guys did not choose that TCU game. I, I didn't because Texas Tech can get hot. And they would love nothing more than to ruin TCU's hopes. But, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a game that, that I was leaning towards, TCU minus eight. I actually I leaned to TCU in the game, but I actually like the over in that game more. Nobody has stopped this TCU offense in a situation with them right now. And like you said, even though they're undefeated, if the season ended today, they're on the outside looking in. This is a team that is going to, I hate to say it, but they're a team where you talk about style points at the end of the year. Uh, they might run it up on uh, you know, Texas Tech if they get the opportunity and keep scoring. And I know I would not want to be holding an under ticket watching that game, the way that offense can go up and down the field. But uh, Trevor, I appreciate you joining us uh, this week, as you always do, and uh, good luck with uh, your picks. And, uh, yeah, I always gave you grief about those underdogs, but I can't give you grief this year. You're you're beating me, so uh, kudos, <laughs> kudos to you. But uh, with TC out of the office, we should have had you uh, fly in. We could have had uh, dinner and just ran it up on TC's expense account. What do you think? <laughs> oh, let's go to let's go to the Maserati dealership and run it up on TC's expense account. Marco, there's a lot of football left to be played, man. Much respect for what you do, Ralph. Loved your picks, man. Thanks for having me on today. No problem. All right, guys. That's going to wrap up another show here on the TC Martin Show. Don't forget, go 
to tcmartinshow.com. You can catch every show, uh, all the shows from the week are downloaded there in podcast form. Don't forget, uh, you can also listen to those interviews and check out the Mattress Mac when I told you about that earlier uh, today. A very interesting uh, interview with Mattress Mac and all the money he's got going uh, on the Houston Astros uh, for this series. And you can catch the T.C. Martin Show uh, 2 to 4 Monday through Friday and of course every Friday live at the Westgate Sportsbook. We'll be back there next week. T.C. Martin is in Houston. Hopefully we'll see him Monday if they wrap it up and this is marco d'angelo with ralph michaels thanks for listening to the tc martin show What's that?